We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined today by recent FSWA award nominee for best baseball publication. Uh, he also has a hand uh, in our fantasy sports radio show on XM that was also nominated for an award. It's James Anderson. James, congrats on the, the two nominations. I guess some of these are, are co-nominations, but but still, I, I feel like these trickle down to you. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I need to take most of the credit for for both of those. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for giving me that credit. Um, yep. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, they were listening to Jeff and Liz with the radio on. And uh, I mean, Clay, Clay Link does uh, most of the heavy lifting on the magazine. So mm-hmm. happy, happy for everyone involved. It's, it's honestly super lame that they don't have a best fantasy basketball guest appearance on podcast category. <laughs> that would have that been a sweep. 
Uh, man, yeah. I mean, it would have been between me and me and Ken Kreitz, probably. <laughs> I think that, that at this point, that would just be like the Ken Kreitz Award for podcast guests. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So so for today, I, I we were supposed to do this pod last week, and then the James Harden trade ended up happening. We, we ended up doing a, an emergency pod on that instead. Um, but I asked you basically to compile a list of three to five or essentially however many items that you wanted to touch on that are related to the NBA in any way. So it could be a team that you've been watching, a, a team that's confused you, a player, um, really anything to do with the league. So we'll dive into those in a second. I have my list as well. Um, but but in general, I just want to talk about how much the virus has impacted this season so far. We had three more games postponed this morning already. The next three games for the Grizzlies, two of those against Sacramento, one against Portland on Friday. Um, Alex and I have kind of hit on this on and off you know, throughout the last few weeks, but how much has, has COVID and, you know, the, the havoc that it's kind of wreaked on the season as well as fantasy basketball, like how has that changed how you've consumed the season and, and how, you know, how into it, I guess you've been over these first four or five weeks. Uh, you know, the, the COVID stuff, I, I am not that surprised by any of it. I, I, uh, joined fewer fantasy basketball leagues this year than I would have if everything had been sort of perfect conditions, just because I knew that there'd be a lot more variance and luck involved uh, than there typically is. Um, and I, I kind of regret not pushing harder for a couple of our staff leagues to be daily lineup leagues. Um, you know, I think there's a pretty strong case for, uh, having as many of your leagues be daily over weekly, even in a normal year. And in this year specifically, I think that in a weekly league, uh, you're just introducing so much randomness and luck uh, by just having guys where you know that your lineup's going to lock and you just kind of don't know how many games you're going to get from, from certain guys. And inevitably guys that you didn't even have any concerns about heading into the mm-hmm. week or something's going to pop up on Tuesday or Wednesday and you, you might I have to take a goose egg on those guys. So, I mean, it's definitely been frustrating from a a fantasy standpoint, but I don't think anyone that was sort of expecting this to be a a smooth season in that regard uh, wasn't paying attention to what happened with baseball and football. And, um, you know, I think football benefited because they just had one game a week. So it was a lot easier to kind of, uh, squeeze everything in and, and all that stuff. Uh, baseball, I think, had the benefit of it being the summer and it being, you know, outdoors and everything. And, um, you know, just coronavirus wasn't as big of a, I mean, it was a, a obviously it's been a huge issue the whole time, but I mean, it, it's worse now than it was mm-hmm. in like July and August. Um, but I, I just think you, you had to kind of see this coming. Um, I, you know, I haven't been watching maybe quite as much, uh, you know, games as, as I would normally, but, um, you know, to me, it's just the, you're going to have some games where they're just really good games, you know, like that, that Bucks Nets game was mm-hmm. really entertaining and you kind of have to sort of assess the situation kind of going into the game. Like, is this going to be a good brand of basketball um right. a lot of a lot of games are just going to be really poor quality for a variety of reasons uh, covid's certainly one of them but i think a lot of teams are really kind of 
conserving effort and energy in some of these games, especially the, the teams that are going to kind of coast to a playoff spot. Like you're not, you're not going to see a lot of those teams give full effort every single night. And part of that is just the sort of ridiculous turnaround nature of last season ending and this season starting when it did. Um, I mean, we all know that that was financially motivated, um, mm-hmm. But it's just you, you can't really be all that surprised when the, the quality of basketball is as, as poor as it is, given all the factors involved. I was really surprised to read this morning. I think it was Stefan Bondi at the, the New York Daily News had a, a tweet that NBA ratings for the ESPN, TNT and ABC games, which is what the league cares by far the most about, is up 34 percent compared to last year. I, I don't know if that's compared directly to the bubble or you know all of that on aggregate or just pre-bubble, but either way. That's pretty surprising to me because I I know a lot of friends who follow the NBA and have just you know kind of had a harder time getting into it this year. Um, that just it, I, I think it's partially because of the no fans thing. Like some of these games that feel like they should be bigger, um, the environment just hasn't been there. And then for other teams, like the schedule has just been so incredibly scrambled. You know where you know if you're like what the the Wizards I think have gone six straight games now that have been postponed. Um, there's so much uncertainty there. Um, and I think, you know, kind of what you said to wrap up applies to both fantasy and real life NBA basketball, where in fantasy leagues, for one, I have no idea if any of my teams are any good because like in, in our stake league, I did not like my stake league team at all. I was up to second the other day just by virtue of the fact that I had relatively decent COVID luck, I think, compared to other teams that that are objectively better. So I really have it's really tough to get a read on whether your fantasy teams are actually good. And I think for a lot of the actual basketball being played you know save for a few teams at the top and a few teams at the bottom i think it's been you know due to the amount of absences and the weird schedule and you know one team supposed to be playing in canada is actually playing in florida like it's just been really really hard to actually gauge like which teams might be in trouble which teams are overachieving underachieving because night to night there's just an extreme amount of variance yeah well well quickly on the the ratings thing you mentioned i mean i think a a big factor there is just nobody has anything to do on like you can't there's nothing to do on like a wednesday night or a yeah. thursday night or a friday night so everyone's That's just true. kind of at home um you're watching these games in your home you're not watching them at a bar you're not going to the games um so i mean it, it's just it's like one of the only shows in town like if, if you like sports and you like basketball like that's one of the only things do. you can do on like a thursday night right um uh, but yeah, I mean, with with your other point, I think the the only really thing I've been looking at is just play like individual players. Like you're just you're not getting a sense of how good a lot of these teams are for uh, obvious reasons. But that doesn't mean you can't notice a certain player is like breaking out or a certain right. player is um, you know not performing the way you maybe thought they would or something like that. So I do think we can we can definitely read into a lot of these individual performances, uh, even though they might not necessarily be um, translating to the the standings the way that we would expect them to. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take several more weeks and maybe even months before we we really get a sense of how the standings are going to reflect what's, what's happening in these games. But no, individually, I, I do agree. I mean, I, I think Colin Sexton, for example, you know, looks like a completely different player. I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily an, an impact of, of COVID or, you know, guys missing on, on opposing teams or anything like that. 
Now that your season-long fantasy basketball leagues have started, this is a great time to check out our friends at Monkey Knife Fight, the fastest-growing site in daily fantasy. The NHL and NBA are in full swing, and the NFL playoffs are here. The time is now to take advantage of a 100% instant match up to $50 on your first deposit by using our promo code WIRE. That's WIRE, as in Roto Wire. Get it? Get it? That's a free $50 in your Monkey Knife Fight account if you sign up with that promo code. We have huge NBA slates pretty much every night with the way the schedule works out this season, so there's no better time to dive into DFS. Whether you're an experienced player, just a beginner, Monkey Knife Fight is the place to play. Visit monkeyknifefight.com and use our promo code WIRE, that's W-I-R-E, WIRE, today. Let's switch over to the first the first player or team on your list of topics that you want to hit on. I'll, I'll give you first dibs. Awesome. Well, this was a really good transition by you because I wanted to bring up two players who, um, one player who I just sort of have been maybe too low on for his entire career, and that's mm-hmm. Colin Sexton, uh, who you just mentioned. And then another player who I made fun of um, the team that signed him because it just didn't make any sense to me. And that's Jeremy Grant. Oh, come on. I I have both these guys on my list. Yeah, no. So these are probably the two guys that I was probably the most wrong about, um, or at least just off the top of my head when I was coming up with these topics, I, you know, I thought Jeremy Grant was a guy who was just a really nice team player, like a guy that you'd want on your, in your wing rotation, but I just thought the idea of him being signed to be a kind of primary scorer, creator, uh, I just thought that that was a, a huge uh, evaluation error by the, the Pistons. And I mean, obviously, I, I think with both of these guys, you can expect some regression in their shooting efficiency. But I mean, Jer- I mean, there's no other way to put it i mean jeremy grant's just been way better in that role than i thought he would be and even even if he regresses a little bit i still think uh you know getting him three years 60 million is that is that what the deal was um uh sounds about right like well you know 20 million a year let's just call it that uh i mean i think you're looking at that as a, a good contract right now a contract that i think almost any team would would trade for under the right circumstances and um you know, I, I don't necessarily know about a lot of the Pistons' other moves. You know, I, I still think the Mason Plumlee contract was objectively bad. The Killian Hayes pick, probably not good. Objective, objectively bad. Um, but, but I think they got the Grant thing right. I don't know where that necessarily takes you if Jeremy Grant's your, your best player. Um, but I... I feel like I owe him. I owe Troy Weaver an, an apology for how low I was on that transaction originally. And then uh, Colin Sexton, I mean, man, like he's just, he can, he's just such a ridiculous scorer. I, I mean, there's obviously flaws in some other parts of his game, uh, you know, really kind of a still, still a ridiculously low assist rate for a guard of his size who handles the ball as much as he does. But um, I mean, just in terms of getting a bucket, uh, kind of scoring at will whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a lot of fun to watch and, and just so much better than I thought he, he really ever would be in the NBA. Yeah, I, I agree with you on both. Like I said, I have them both on my list. 
I mean, with Grant, I, I felt like we were so vindicated because he was so bad in the preseason and he was terrible in their first game. He had nine points on four of 11. You know, they end up losing a, an ugly one to Minnesota. And we're thinking like, here we go. We, we were totally right about this. He has been spectacular since then. I, I read, um, I forget who, who it was on Twitter, but someone said he's hit his, his over in terms of player props for points every single game since opening night like a 13 in <laughs> wow. a row. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Like obviously those are adjusted as you keep going. Um, but he's, he's hit the over in 13 straight games. He has at least 22 points in all 13 of those games. Like his numbers, if you throw out that, that stinker on opening night, his numbers, because it is still a relatively small sample, his numbers look even better. I mean, he's over his last 13 games, he's averaging 27 points per game on 48% shooting. I, I will admit I have only watched the Pistons a couple times this year. So it, you know, it, to me, there's some of these numbers are maybe a little Julius Randall-ish, uh, if, if you allow me to use that term. I, I still don't know that Jeremy Grant is is a guy that you would ever want being like your number one guy on, on a very good team. Um, but there's not a lot of good players around him on this Pistons team. And it's not like he's doing this on 40% shooting and he's just, you know, leading the league in usage or anything like that. Like, I, I think the efficiency of it all is what's most impressive. Well, like, for instance, I think Jeremy Grant is way 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 better than like Tobias Harris you know and like so yeah. I, I just think you 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 don't know what I mean the Pistons thing like he he bet on himself basically in the role like the the Nuggets were offering similar money um but he just he knew he was never going to be more than like the fourth option if he stayed in Denver and he thought that he could be better than that. And he's been proven to be right about that. I, I don't necessarily know where it goes from here with Detroit, but like, you know, I think he could be a, like the third best player on a, on a conference finals team now. Like, I, oh, I don't think I, I thought that before the season. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of players on contracts that, you know, I think his contract stacks up really well against. I mean, he he's certainly not a guy that I think can lead a team um, to like 50 wins or something. But I think the next time he hits the open market, or maybe I don't know if he gets traded before the end of this contract or whatever, but you know, he will be probably doubling his uh, net salary on on his next deal, and he'll be probably joining up with a winning club that's looking to add him as like the final piece before they, they go try to win a title. Essentially what Tobias Harris has been the last couple of years but for <laughs> twice the cost. Right. So with Sexton, we won't go too deep on him. We, we've touched on him a little bit, but I mean, I, I found myself asking like how much worse is Colin Sexton than like Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell right now and it's it's nine games so we'll see i mean maybe in in two months we'll look back and, and that'll seem like a crazy question but i mean the, like you said the big downfall is he's he's never going to be a great passer his assists are up a little bit compared to the last couple of years but he, he's probably always going to be three four or five maybe assists per game um but he stepped it up efficiency wise he's he's bigger he's more physical this year um and then the biggest thing is defensively that was his calling card coming out of high school coming out of one year at alabama was that he was this you know, maybe not lockdown defender, but a guy who made his bones on that end, cared more than anyone else on that end. And we saw that against Brooklyn last night, some of the possessions he had against Kyrie Irving in that game. He's averaging a steal and a half this year uh, after putting up, you know, minuscule defensive numbers the last couple of years. Um, so the improvement on that end too, and even defensive rating wise, he's, his, his individual defensive rating is 110 compared to 118 last year, 121 as a rookie. 
The Cavs are the second best defensive team in the league out of nowhere. Um, I, I think he's made, obviously Grant's made a big leap, but a lot of that was, you know, going from being a role player to arguably the number one guy on a bad team. Sexton's improvement has kind of come internally, it seems, without a, a major change in responsibility. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's hard work. It's putting in the time. I mean, it's it's clearly showing that he, he's worked really, really hard on his game. Um, you know, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, like, I don't think it's crazy to bring him up. And I think he's unequivocally been a better player this year than Jamal Murray has. Um, this season, yeah, no question. Yeah, like that, I don't think that's debatable. Um, one guy that sort of came up to me, I was trying to, like, think of, like, what type of path he's kind of on. Like I, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Kemba Walker, um, like young Kemba Walker, like when he first kind of got into the league and, and, you know, they were both kind of picked in the same range of the draft and people were like, kind of, you know, like undersized, like how, how, how good can this guy really be? Um, but I, I think just in terms of a pure score, he kind of reminds me of Kemba Walker a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think, it, it kind of looks smoother and, and more aesthetically pleasing when Jamal Murray's really cooking, but his inability to, to have any sort of consistency is, is a huge knock at this point. I don't think he's ever played defense as well as Colin Sexton's playing defense this year. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell, I think is, is pretty overrated. Uh, so I think that that's a pretty good comparison as well. I mean, I think at this point, Sexton, Probably is, you know, I think if you made like your Eastern Conference All-Star roster, I think he probably has to be on there at this point. I think Jeremy Grant might be on it, too. <laughs> I know. Who would have thought? It's crazy. I mean, numbers-wise, the only thing that might keep him off is just it depends how bad the teams are. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, we aren't doing an All-Star game this year. No, it, it, it would be really interesting to see how that shakes out because you are going to have like. I mean, you'd have to put these guys on an all-star team over guys like Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving just based oh, on absolutely. like availability. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know about Grant because his team is just so bad. Um, but like I, I think Sexton fully deserves uh, to be thought of as, as an all-star at this point in the season. It's a shame there's not a game because it would be Team Sexton against Team McCall Bridges. <laughs> the leading vote getters. I think they'll still name a team, though, right? I would imagine they just won't play the game. Yeah, I think I think they probably have to for uh, for the contract stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, good point. All right, the first item on my list: the Toronto Raptors. I'm going an entire team. They're five and nine. They are currently 13th in the Eastern Conference. Of course, they're like two games out of being in fourth place in the East, so that doesn't really mean anything. But they're middle of the road in both offense and defense. They're 15th in D, 14th in O. 16th in pace, just very average at just about everything right now. Um, they do lead the league in three-point attempt rate and three-point attempts per game at 43 and a half. I think Portland is second, um, but they're 12th in three-point percentage. So that's been a, one of the big issues so far is they're taking a lot of threes. They're not making all that many. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry's been fine about what you'd expect for him at this age. Van Vliet's been good, not great. You know, the, the scoring is up slightly. The efficiency is down. Um, the two things that stand out to me are, are one, the, the development or lack thereof of Pascal Siakam and two, the fact that they have a very capable center in Chris Boucher, but insist on limiting him in every way possible. 
Um, so it, it should be pointed out that they they do actually have a positive uh, plus minus, despite the fact that they're five and nine. So like they, the games they're losing have been close games. Like they, there's been a ton of blowouts this season, but like the Raptors aren't really getting blown out. Um, I think you could look at the roster and kind of figure it out yourself as to why they're losing close games. Like they don't really have anyone that can go get a bucket uh, at, at the end of a game. Um, Siakam had like, he had like a stretch there uh, earlier in January where he was kind of playing like an all-star again and then uh, kind of regressed over, over his last couple games. I know he says he's banged up. Um, you know, I, I sort of think Siakam kind of is what he is. Like, he's just, like, Siakam's probably still, like, I don't know. I, I think he's probably still better than someone like Jeremy Grant to me. Um, but I think he's just, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him to be sort of a, a star. And I, I don't really think mm-hmm. he's quite to that level. Like, I think you still want him to be, at best, your your second best player, ideally maybe your third best player. Um so I just I think he's kind of done uh, developing and like taking exponential leaps every season like he was doing earlier in his career and I think he just kind of is what he is. Um, mm-hmm. You know they lost some games earlier this season back before they kind of realized how bad Aaron Baines was and stopped playing him a ton. Um, so I think that now that they kind of their rotation is a bit more. Um, kind of clear i think that they will figure things out a little bit make the playoffs um you know chris boucher it's it's he's obviously a a monster in fantasy and i he was someone i was considering uh bringing up on this podcast uh but he's you know you can't you have to play a very unique style of defense if he's going to be your center because like he can't guard a lot of other team centers like in the post like he he's awesome at racking up the the blocks and everything but just physically he he's a guy that you a lot of guys could punish in the post um and they just don't they don't really have a center like they don't have a traditional like anchor a defense type of post defender um so they have to they have to try all these sort of gimmicky defenses and stuff and uh they they still have the personnel to run a really solid switching scheme out there but um i think just kind of the lack of a guy that can go get a bucket late in the game um the lack of interior defense is going to hurt them in certain matchups but i still think you know and obviously i think the the playing the the living in tampa bay part is is uh it has to have a, a bit of a negative effect but i still think this team finishes with a top like seven or eight record in the east um i don't i don't think they're gonna you know, they probably won't win their first round playoff series, but they, they could depending on who they match up against. Um, but I, I just think it took them a couple of weeks to kind of figure out what they had, especially with their front court rotation. Yeah, I, I think all that's pretty spot on. I mean, with Boucher, it, it is almost like he's a shot blocking specialist. Like it, he, technically, he's a center by size. Um, but you're right. There are some limitations there. And there's a reason that they insist on starting Aaron Baines, even if they're only going to play him like five minutes like they did the other night. Um, they tried Alex Len as well. He ended up getting released. He that I think that's a symbol that he was not good enough. 
Um, the only thing I'll push back on a little bit is, you know, you said they, they don't really have a guy for the end of the game. So, and I agree. I, I don't think Siakam is that guy. We saw him miss back-to-back potential game winners last week uh, against Golden State and Portland on back-to-back nights. And his game is, it. I think the Grant comparison is really good because they're both guys who, uh, when the opportunity is there, they can put up great numbers. But at the end of the day, do you trust Jeremy Grant one-on-one with, you know, Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James or whatever at the end of a game to size him up and make the right decision? And we've seen it. We haven't really seen it with Grant because it's only been a small sample. But with Siakam, we've seen this over and over where the ball's in his hands kind of by default at the end. He's, he's technically their best player right now. And it just ends up with him, you know, spinning and then spinning again and then crossing over. And all of a sudden he's further away from the <laughs> basket than he was before. Um at the same time, though, they this was their personnel last year. You know, it's not like they lost Kawhi Leonard from last season to this season. Like they were able to get by with this really well for for almost all of last season. So I just I, I guess I'm well, kind of wondering like what's changed in in that I, regard. I don't think anything's changed in terms of them having a guy that can close a game. I just think that they had most games in hand last year because their defense was so much better because they had Serge and Marcus All. Like. Yeah. You know, you you just the only really weakness they had last year was the fact that they didn't have a guy that could go get him a bucket. But now they have these other weaknesses and it means they're in more close games and they just, you know, that they they need to be winning these games by like five or six. They can't be it can't be coming down to the final possession of a game. Um, And so I just think I think I I was just super wrong about I thought Aaron Baines would just be kind of a viable old center who would be who'd give him you know 25 good minutes a night um I mean he's just super washed up and they're they're just missing I think Gasol and Serge Ibaka more than I expected and it's not even just mm-hmm. defensively like uh obviously Marcus Gasol is a, a really smart offensive player he knows what to do and where to be but I think Serge Ibaka had developed into that as well, where you could get him the ball in like the high post and he could uh, find the open cutter, or the, the open guy on the perimeter. And, and they just don't have that type of IQ in the front court anymore. Yeah. And the, the last thing on Toronto, too, is the role players just have not been good. Yeah, I think you've, you've gotten about what you'd expect from your top three or four with Lowry, Siakam, Van Vliet and Anobi, maybe a little bit of disappointment for a couple of those guys, but nothing major. I think you're getting more than you'd expect out of Boucher, but then Norman Powell under 40% from the field, like Stanley Johnson is playing real minutes for this team. Like Terrence Davis, who looked like a guy for a lot of last year has mostly been out of the rotation. Uh, You know, Matt Thomas, the sharpshooter has, has only played in five games. Like Nick nurse is like openly trashing his bench after multiple games this season. I, I think their depth maybe hasn't been quite as good as they thought it would be. Hey, NBA fans, Owner's Box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They're the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform to combine the best elements of daily and season-long fantasy. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format that keeps players engaged through live snake drafts and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. On Owner's Box, users can brand themselves and engage socially on the platform in multiple different ways, add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Users are able to draft a new team every single day 
and participate in different types of contests to keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. To tip off the NBA season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. Think you got what it takes to be a weekly fantasy GM? Visit ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and make a name for yourself today. What's the number two item on your list? Um, so I want to talk about Giannis and Mike Budenholzer a little bit. Um, so I think we're at the point where it's just a tactically, it's a really bad decision to really ever have Giannis shooting three pointers unless it's a late clock situation. And that's like the only shot. Um, and I don't know if, if Mike Boonholzer is just, he doesn't think Giannis would respond well to him telling him like, you're not allowed to shoot threes anymore in 95% of circumstances. I don't know if he thinks that him continuing to try to get better at that part of his game is, is good. Um, but I mean, I, you know, other people have talked about this. I think Zach Lowe's talked about this. Like the whole point of someone like that who's, who's not a shooter turning into a, a three point shooter is to kind of stretch the defense. It's not, it's not like you ever would think of like giving Giannis a three pointer as like a, a good decision um, just by itself. But if, if people respect him out there, theoretically you have the more space on the court for the other players but just nobody's ever going to guard him out there um you know he, he's not even like a 32 percent three-point shooter but even if he was a 33 or 34 percent three-point shooter no one's going to guard him out there anyways so you're not getting that space whether they're going in or they're not going in for him and he's just you know there's gonna be five or six possessions per game where he takes a stupid three that he shouldn't take. And that, that basically is a turnover 60, 70% of the time um, when, it, when it's a miss and it, it's a defensive rebound. Um, and I just don't think it's adding any element to the offense and it's, it's only taking stuff off the table, especially when he takes some early clock. And so I don't know if that's just, you can't talk him out of it. He refuses to, stop doing it they're not brave enough to try to talk them out of it um but that's one big problem that i i think is going to lead to big time trouble in the playoffs and then uh, with budenholzer again i don't know what the deal is with the defense where you just you never put Giannis on the other team's best wing you always have him on some some terrible offensive player and treat him like a free safety but i just i don't think that that's as valuable as it would be if you just put him on like Kevin Durant or LeBron James or or whoever for like 25 minutes a game like you don't have to guard that guy the whole game but it's just if you're the opposing team you want Giannis to be guarding your worst offensive player and trying to help defense like you don't want him guarding Kevin Durant for two-thirds of the game because that's just going to make life way harder on Durant and I know that there's the argument of you don't want to get Giannis in foul trouble. But I just think this sort of archetype is of Giannis as being the best player on a championship team, it can't you can't be trying to follow like the blueprint of like a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James 
he needs to be sort of this special type of best player on a championship team where a ton of the value you're getting is from what he does on defense. And he's not the focal point at times of the offense. Like, I just think that this whole idea of him being this guy that shoots threes and um, hangs back on, on defense, like, I, I just don't think that gives your team as high of a ceiling as if he really just sort of focused on the things he's really, really good at. And I also just, I wonder when Bud is going to realize that they have to teach this team how to switch defensively. Like you have the personnel, you have Chris Middleton, um, both Antetokounmpo's. Like the only thing Thanasis Antetokounmpo and DJ Wilson bring to the table defensively is their ability to switch. And so when you don't do that, you're just kind of wasting them. Like Torrey Craig can switch, Drew Holiday can switch. Like you don't have to do it when you have DJ Augustine in there, but the fact that they just barely ever do that, uh, even just to try it out and get better at it before the playoffs, it's just, it's really frustrating. So I, I kind of see this season, unless kind of those things change, I, I see them getting bounced at some point during the Eastern Conference playoffs. And I see Budenholzer getting fired after the season, honestly. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask you that about about Bud's future. I would say Budenholzer, like right now, if you had to say, is he going to start next season as the Bucks head coach? I, I would say no. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And so back to the three point argument, 100 percent with you on this. He's got to give it up. Um, I, I don't have a problem where, you know, if he has a certain, I don't know, a certain night where he's he's feeling it and he hits one or two, whatever, that's fine. Five a game is way too many for a guy shooting 30 percent. Um, and I, I think you said it perfectly that it doesn't even, the percentage doesn't matter whether it's 28 or 30 or 34, unless it gets up to consistently high thirties, nobody's going to respect him. Like you watch that Nets game on Monday. It's not like they're just playing a little bit off him. Like you're stationing your defender, you know, five, six feet off, like able to help out in passing lanes, um, able to basically reduce the huge advantage that Giannis has over most NBA players is that he has these long strides. He's super athletic. He's quick. When, when you're giving someone like DeAndre Jordan, who's nowhere near, you know, the type of athlete at this point that Giannis is, you're giving him a six, seven step advantage, you know, as, as you're going to the hoop, it's a lot easier to cut that guy off and, and get in position and force turnovers and force charges. And I, I just don't think there's anything that Giannis can do to, to ultimately force the defense to respect him. I think he could hit five threes in a row to begin a game. And you're, I think the opponent, opposing team would say, we don't care. Keep doing it. Um, so I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I'm not... I'm not 100% sure how they need to use him because I, I think he is special enough as a passer that he can kind of play that that Durant-LeBron style. I mean, that's worked pretty well the last couple of years. Um, but at the same time, he's also, you know, essentially a, a modern like Shaq level player on the inside. So like, I, I don't think you want to play him at center necessarily. Obviously, you don't want him full-time handling the ball. I think what separates him from a player like LeBron is at the end of games, LeBron can still hit jumpers. He's You're happy to have him settle for mid-range jumpers and step back threes over the course of the game. But late in the fourth quarter, that's that's still where he makes his bread. And and with Giannis, that's just that's just been such a stagnant part of his game. Like he, He's really not improved even in the mid-range over the last three or four years. Yeah, and, and like with that Nets example, you know, I, I think the Bucs can still torch that that defensive approach like if the yeah. if the other team just wants to keep their center in the paint wherever no matter where Giannis is then they can still do that thing where Giannis comes and sets a screen on Chris Middleton's man and Chris Middleton gets wide open 16 footers all game like that that's 
that's not an issue. It's it, the fact that like nobody respects him. Like that's fine. You can work with that. The problem is when nobody respects you and you just pull these threes with like 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Like mm-hmm. those are turnovers basically. And it's just, yep. you ca- you have to take that out of your game by the time the playoffs come around. Defensively, I feel like they're going to default to the, well, we don't want to get him in foul trouble, especially because he is so foul prone on the offensive end. I would hope that if it's Bucks Nets in the East finals, that he's guarding Kevin Durant, because I I agree. I think that is more valuable, especially because you have another rib protector in Brooke Lopez. And I get, you know, having Giannis Rome and and, and be able to help and block shots is is great. And I, I think it's been pretty effective for the Bucks over the last few regular seasons. But it's not like they have a Robert Covington or or somebody with you know extreme length to go guard a Kevin Durant type. Like not many teams do, but Giannis is one of those guys that is such a freak athletically that it it's it's a fairly good matchup on Kevin Durant as far as those go. Um, so yeah, I was I was surprised that we didn't see much of that at all on Monday. I mean, maybe it's just Bud not wanting to tip his hand, but knowing what we know about him, I, I feel like they're gonna stay they're gonna kind of stay with what they've done all year and and just cross the fingers and hope it works and. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's it's that you know the lack of adjustments have have ultimately really doomed Milwaukee. And and here's why he's going to get fired is because it's they're going to be in a playoff series and they're going to have to switch to something that they didn't practice at all during the regular season and their guys aren't going to be used to it and they're not going to perform that well and it's just going to be like why didn't these guys practice this at all during the regular season you. You just don't have your team prepared for everything like that. That's what your job is as a coach is to have your team prepared for any type of scenario they could run into in the playoffs. And I just don't think this team is going to be prepared um, Mm -hmm. for whatever they run into. So I think he he will either need to make adjustments that we're talking about. I mean, there's still plenty of regular season left. Uh, I, I understand not wanting to necessarily tip your hand, but. I mean, you can practice switching against some terrible team. Like, you don't, you don't have right. to just try it against the best teams. You can still get your guys um, some reps against the, the teams you're beating up on. It feels like they're stuck in this position where I think everyone seems to like Bud as a guy. Like, the, the players seem to get along with him. I think if they didn't, he would have been out already. But wow. I, I think it's going to reach a breaking point probably by the end of this year where almost a, almost a Mike McCarthy type of situation where it's like, look, man, we're, we're at the end of the line. Um, we, we've kind of tried everything else and, and it's come back to you as the, you know, the common denominator of all of our issues. Yeah. I mean, I'd, uh, I wouldn't mind switching bud for Taylor Jenkins at this point, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Get Do a little, yeah. little mid season firing for one of the best teams. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, we'll, we'll go a little more quickly through these last couple. Uh, I, I want to hit on Zion real quickly. He's the same guy as last year. And it's kind of disappointing. Um, the scoring totals have been occasionally very impressive. It, you know, he has a lot of 30 plus point games already. Um, super efficient in a lot of those games. He's at, you know, 60% from the field. That's now better than where he was last season in that 19 game sample. Um, but at the same time, I mean, 11 total rebounds over his last two games. That's like 70 minutes of basketball, five assists over that span. He only has one game with four assists this year, three or fewer in every other. Uh, one steal over his last four games, one block over his last five games. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't mean to harp on on a young player who's still putting up like really nice and super efficient scoring stats, but I don't know. I mean, it's 
it, it just it just hasn't really been exactly what I thought it would be. I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe the hype was too much, and he hasn't been bad. Like it, I'm stuck in this weird position with Zion, where he like he's objectively playing pretty well, but it also seems like he's been to me a fairly big disappointment at the same time. This is <clears throat> this is awesome because we we are, we have a lot of overlap. So um, now that you brought up Zion, I only have one one more topic left to hit after this yeah, one. Yeah, I but, only have one um, more as well. So what I had written down was could Zion be the first star to decline to sign his rookie extension heading into the 2023 season? Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think, I just don't think they've made their bed with Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, like, you know, Brandon Ingram's not going anywhere. Um, They aren't really going to be able to, do a ton to upgrade this core before it's time for Zion to sort of make that decision about uh, decision about his extension. <clears throat> and I just don't see this team ever, you know, getting a top five or six seed in the, the West before that time comes. And Zion's made so much money off the court that I don't, I don't know if getting that security means the same thing to him that it does to most young players and i think physically he's a different type of young prospect than you know a guy like jason tatum or jalen brown or whoever where like his prime his physical prime is probably going to end in his mid-20s and so where he plays uh during his mid-20s really really matters if he wants to get rings um and I just I wonder if like if this team's just always hovering around 500, they have not built around him very well. Like you just you're never going to have more than three shooters out there at a time with these best lineups. Um, I just think it could come to a point where Zion says, you know, I'd like to play in a different city uh, with different players. And I know that almost every single star before me has signed their rookie extension, but I don't want to sign this and then try to get traded in two years. I want to just pick my destination now. I think this is a great call. I, I think it hinges on how much decision-making power you know Zion himself has. I, I think there's been some questions as to like kind of who's in charge of this whole situation. It, it's been strange from the handling of his rehab last year. Uh, even through all the pre-draft stuff. I, I think this is very much on the table. I, I think the money thing has gotten so big um, and in terms of off-court um, and even in terms of the money that you make signing elsewhere. You know, like I, I don't think that's really a huge risk for Zion at this point. And I think if anyone were to do it, I think it would be him. Um, I, and I, I think the fact that he's in New Orleans has a lot to do with this. Not that it's a bad city, but, you know, I, I think probably not where he would have chosen to end up. I think that only adds to the motivation I guess the question to me is like, how self-aware is he about his own body and about what his prime will be? I think you're spot on. I I think this is going down the Blake Griffin trajectory very quickly. And I I would be surprised if if Zion Williamson is still a very good NBA player at age like 32. Um, I I think it's going to be a a, a, probably a very good, but fairly short NBA prime for him. I I just think for a lot of guys, it's probably hard to recognize that, you know, like, do you you think Blake Griffin at his, at age 22 was like, man, I only got four more good years left. Like probably not. Um, So that, that leads me to believe that, you know, maybe there'd be a little bit more 
self-confidence, I guess, in him that he wouldn't, he wouldn't see it that way. But I mean, if you're, if you're his camp or his representation, I, I think that's certainly something that, that should be in your mind. So yeah, I don't think that they'll be that self-aware, but I think that there's so much hype around him and like this changes. Like if, if for some reason this team becomes like a 50 win team, then I don't really think this will happen, but I think there's just going to be enough negativity directed at Zion um, deservedly or, or un- undeservedly about this team, just never really taking that next step that he's just going to be like, I need to get somewhere where I'm going to win games so that people stop taking this out on me. Um, you know, like he's going to look around and be like, okay, if I re up here, how is anything going to be different? Like it's going to be me and Brandon Ingram and you know, maybe one of these guards turns into something, but like, I just think that it's going to, he's going to get fed up with the kind of mediocrity of this team and want to kind of change the narrative in that Mm -hmm. sense. So I think he'll be self-aware in the fact that he'll look around and be like, this team isn't going to win a finals anytime soon. Well, and part of it was Zion, the type of player that he is, is he can only take matters into his own hands so much. You know, he can't, he can't just dominate the ball every single possession and, and, you know, walk it up the court and run pick and roll. You know, like he's, they're still kind of using him as this like super role player, which I I think is probably how he's best utilized, but he's not a primary ball handler. He's not going to go one-on-one. He's not going to hit step back threes and and be the guy that you're feeding at the end of games down the stretch. So like, I I think the fact that that's kind of out of his control could end up being even more frustrating if if it does turn that way. And, And as of right now, I think it will. I mean, the one saving grace is that they have all these picks from the the Davis trade that you could eventually cash in for somebody. Um, and I, I think, you know, if, and when they, they either don't make the playoffs this year or lose in round one, um, I think the pressure is going to turn up considerably to get probably a third guy next to him in Ingram. Yeah, I agree. All right. Final item on my list. And we'll do this one quickly. Uh, the Orlando magic slash Nick Vucevic. What is the plan? For the Magic, they've had some some untimely injuries. I mean, this is a a franchise helmed by you know John Hammond, who I, I think is is well versed in just kind of hanging out at, around the middle to bottom of the Eastern Conference. But I mean, again, the injuries I, I think change everything because you had a, a really nice young breakout player in Jonathan Isaac, who now I mean at this point you'll get him back next year, but I, I think it's fair to question given the severity of the injuries, like what his ceiling now is physically. You can kind of ask the same questions about Markel Fultz, who I think a lot of people thought would turn a corner this year, looked like he was maybe on that trajectory. Now he's gone for the year. Um, and I mean, they're left with a pretty bare roster right now. And and I think you and I both like Cole Anthony, but I think his ceiling is is not sky high. You know, the, the rest of this roster is just kind of a lot of no-name guys, you know, Kem Birch, Terrence Ross, James Ennis. You know, I feel like they have like 10 James Ennises on the wing. They're just they're kind of in that mid zone and they've, again, they've, they're comfortable with that. It seems as a franchise, but at some point, do you consider moving on from Vucevic who very quietly has been one of the best players in the entire league this season. And then really over the last three, four years has been super consistent. The issue is he's 30 years old. Um, not, you know, not, not old enough that you can't trade him, but not young enough that another team would, would be willing to give up a King's ransom. He has two more years left on his contract after this one. If you're Orlando, do you do you float the idea of trading Vucevic and and trying to use that to kickstart an actual rebuild that you've kind of been kicking down the road for the last four or five years? 
Well, yeah, I think you have to. Um, I I don't know if they are willing to do that, but I mean, all logic dictates that you should absolutely try to trade him as soon as possible while his value is about as high. I mean, it's as high right now as it's going to be probably. Um, right. So, you know, I, I think there are teams that could definitely use him. Like we talked about the Raptors. I mean, they could definitely use him. Um, I just, I don't know if they would be willing to trade him for like, if the best offer they can get for him is matching salary and say two protected first round picks. Is that, is that something they would do? Because like, I think that's where it becomes like, it's easy for me to just say, trade him for the best package you can get today. Like if that's what it is, then that's what it is. You trade him. I mean, you need to bottom out. You need to get as many high picks as possible. So Mm -hmm. having Vucevic help you win an extra eight games every year is a negative. It's not a good thing. Um, But they might look at the packages and say, well, two like top five protected first round picks for the best player we've had in like a decade. Like, are they going to be willing to kind of swallow that? Yeah, I I, I have no idea. I, I think they should. I mean, it's they've been in that just horrific zone that you don't want to be in for so long that you think, you know, I, I think it would be to the point where even like if you're worried about alienating a fan base, if the fan base has any knowledge of how the NBA works, you you should want this team to bottom out at this point. And I, I think with Vucevic, like it, it would all be determined on what you can get back for him. And I, I think the package would be probably better maybe than we're expecting. I mean, he's over a year younger than James Harden, who was uh, just traded for a massive package. And obviously he's not nearly the player that Harden is, but I, I don't, I don't think this is something where you'd have to, you know, necessarily settle for like, you know, rigid protections on picks or, you know, a, a really undesirable but, salary. Like, I, I think this could be a, a very good trade for Orlando. But there's not there's not going to be any external leverage where, like, the reason that the Clippers and the Bucks and the Rockets got these or gave up these crazy hauls um, for these in these superstar trades is because like Kevin Durant wanted James Harden, uh, Giannis wanted a reason to sign his extension. Kawhi Leonard wanted Paul George. Like, there's not some other star saying you need to go trade for Vucevic, otherwise I'm out of here. <laughs> that that we know, know of. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Like I just don't. I don't think. And the fact that he's a center. Yeah. Like he's a really good center, but you have to look at like who are these contending teams that are like Vucevic is the final piece. You know, like I yeah. just I don't no, know. That's true. It's where true. the external leverage comes from. Well, and the problem is too, if even if you have a situation like that, you know, like I would love Vucevic in Boston, but it's like, what are you, what are you sending back? You know, you're not, you're not giving up Jalen Brown for Nick Vucevic, and if you did that, you'd be, you'd be right in the same situation you are now, maybe worse. Um, and and for Orlando too, it's like, let's say you send him to Portland for, I don't know, C.J. McCollum. That doesn't do anything for me if I'm Orlando. You're just exchanging, you know, kind of one guy who's not really young enough to, to pitch yourself on, oh, this guy could develop into a superstar for another guy who's a year or two older. So it, it would, it would kind of have well, to take the perfect package or, or I, very draft heavy. So I think it would, I think it basically has to be someone like Kemba Walker or Kyle Lowry for the matching salary. And then you attach picks. Like, yeah. like I, I don't yeah. think there's, 
you're not getting you know, you're not getting like a Jalen Brown type of guy, right? Like I mean, um, so it has to be some sort of past his prime guy on a big contract, and then you just get as many picks as you can. Like I maybe maybe you throw in, you know, not a budding star, but like you know someone kind of in that like Dante DiVincenzo type of zone of, of young player. Um, but like that, that's the type of package I think. And you need to find like who, who's the team that has that sort of Kemba Walker um, type of contract. And I think I have one for you. Terry Rozier and picks. Well, I almost brought up Terry Rozier on this podcast. Uh, I mean, do we know that Vucevic is better than Terry Rozier? <laughs> I mean, I was going to say we might have the Rozier Sexton all-star backcourt if that hadn't played this year. <laughs> like Rozier, Rozier's been a beast. He's been insane. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think Boston probably regrets the way that that played out at the end. I mean, I, nobody really saw this coming. I, I think his first year in Charlotte, you're like, yeah, that's probably about what we thought, but yeah, I mean, he's been 48% from the field, 44% from three, uh, I mean, he's he's cooled off a little bit. He, the, the thing with him is he's had some like huge games and some absolutely terrible games, and it's kind of leveled off to about 20 points per game. But overall, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's four years younger than Vucevic. I, I don't know. I think there's maybe something there. Well, yeah, I mean, I I I think the I mean, I love this Hornets team. Like, if you have Rozier, Lamelo, Hayward, and then like if you just get kind of one more front court piece some like via the draft maybe or something like like there's there's something there I mean I, I love the way that Rozier and Lamelo play together and I think that that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why Rozier is having such a good year yeah I don't know maybe you try to dump Devontae Graham although I, I think his value is considerably lower than it was any time last year let me just throw my my one last guy that I I have here we can okay. do like two minutes really quick um I just wanted to shout out Lou Dort uh and like I know he's not going to win most improved player, but I think he should be kind of in that top five to ten players in consideration. And I feel like what he's doing as a as a shooter this year, sixty three percent true shooting for one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. I just wanted to shout out Lou Dort really quickly. All right, well Lou Dort Nation appreciates that. To be honest, I had not checked in on Lou Dort very often this season. Did not realize he's shooting forty four percent from three. 13 and a half points a game. Uh, obviously a great defender as well. I mean, this, this OKC team in general, I feel like they're this year's version of, of Charlotte last year where like I'm looking at that Charlotte roster, like they're going to go 0 and 82. And I think everybody was, was rightfully down on, on OKC outside of SGA. And and here we are now, you know, what are we like a fifth of the way through the season essentially. And they're, they're six and seven, which I, I think we talked at the top about how, how much variance there's been, but even so, I, I think we thought that they would be closer to where Minnesota is right now at three and ten. They'll fall. They'll fall back. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. They, they're gonna do. They're gonna take drastic measures to tank down the stretch if they have to. Yeah. Um, Forty-eight minutes of Pokashevsky. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's end on this now. So, how many cross-offs are there for teams that you are you are one hundred percent sure right now are not making the playoffs? Um, Magic, Pistons, Washington. Um, 
I'm not willing to cross them off yet just because they have so much invested in being good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd cross off the Knicks before I'd cross off the Wizards, honestly. Um, I, I think I'm only crossing off the Pistons and the Magic and the East. Are you talking like top 10, so make a play-in, play-in game? Uh, Sure. So I'll just cross off the Pistons and the Magic in the East. I'll cross okay. off the... Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Rockets, and the Kings. I, I'll cross off four teams in the West. I don't think the Rockets, oh Thunder, Timberwolves, or Kings uh, can do it. I wanted to talk myself into the Rockets being a little frisky. Uh, the John Wall knee situation scares me. If, if he if he's in and out of the lineup and plays 50% of their games the rest of the way, that's not happening. I think Oladipo looked good, but I, I don't think they have enough. The only other team that came to mind is is Memphis, and I, I won't cross them off now. But I two weeks ago I definitely would have crossed them off, and then all of a sudden Morant's back, you know, a week or two earlier, and then they were able to tread water without him. I I still would pick against Memphis actually being in the play-in scenario. I, I think they're the least talented by a decent margin of of the remaining teams. Although you know with Portland missing guys, that's maybe an argument. Um, but Memphis is is kind of like OKC to me, where I I thought they'd take a huge step back and. Maybe at the end of the season they will, but but so far they've been a lot better than I thought. Well, I would take, I mean, I would take Memphis over New Orleans. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you were counting them, but I mean, that just based on wins banked at this point, um, the fact you have Ja healthy, I mean, COVID's going to cost them enough games where I think Jaron Jackson might play in their next game. And so, like, I just think the Grizzlies are so well coached and they have just such a, good thing going there like around John Morant like everyone sort of knows their role uh, which is kind of the opposite like the pieces fit much better in Memphis than they do in New Orleans and I mean I I don't think they're going to win a playoff series but I, I don't really want to pick against that team to to get there they at least just like seem to know what they're doing whereas New Orleans I think has more talent and it just it's just not fitting very well together like Memphis Memphis I think kind of knows where it's at you know, I, I don't think they have any delusions that they're like a, a top three team in the West or anything, but I, I think they're, they know they're on the outside looking in and are playing like it and have, and have been mm-hmm. certainly good enough to be in that conversation. Um, and last note on, on Jackson, I think he would have played tomorrow. I mean, so Memphis's next three games are all postponed, so they won't play again until Wednesday. Uh, so I would, I think he almost certainly plays on that one. And I mean, if he comes back and, and is able to stay healthy, then that that's certainly enough to keep them in the mix. Yeah, I agree. All right, man. Appreciate you taking the time to do this. As always, uh, Alex, Ken Shannon will be back on Friday. Uh, Alex and I next Tuesday. And then we'll have Ben Zweiman uh, from DK Nation joining us next week as well. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.